This is We Are Netflix, Netflix employees talking about work and life at Netflix. We're basically trying to take on the production side 20th century technology. That's probably not even late 20th century technology. Sometimes it's mid 20th century technology and take it well into the 21st century. Over the last few decades, new technologies have revolutionized the way movies and TV shows are created, distributed, and consumed. These days, almost everything is digital, from the moment footage is captured by cameras all the way through to the final viewing experience using streaming services like Netflix. But surprising as it sounds, there are some important pieces of the process that have been largely untouched by the digital revolution. Studio functions like managing crews, scheduling shoots, distributing daily footage, sending out scripts. Many of these essential logistic and collaborative tasks still rely on the same methods and tools used 50 years ago. Pen and paper, photocopiers, and lots and lots of phone calls and in-person meetings. But now that's changing, thanks to a new set of technologies known as Studio in the Cloud. I'm Lyle Troxell, and on this episode of We Are Netflix, we're going to look at how digital cloud-based technology is helping to modernize film and TV production. We'll hear how Netflix is using Studio in the Cloud tools, including some we've developed ourselves, to streamline studio collaboration, improve efficiencies, and free creators to do what they do best. Cloud-based tools are particularly helpful for people collaborating remotely, and Studio in the Cloud will play an increasingly important role as film and television production resumes after the shutdown caused by the COVID-19 pandemic. To learn more about Studio in the Cloud, I spoke to some of the people leading the initiative at Netflix, starting with Todd Yellen, our VP of product. Todd was one of the first people I met when I started working at Netflix, and over the years we've had some wonderful conversations about his role in helping to make our products better. So why have we decided to invest in studio products, in, in products for the studio side of the business? We are producing an unprecedented amount of movies and TV shows to give our members more value at a global scale. It takes armies of people to make that content. And you know what? There's a finite number of people who are amazing cinematographers, amazing storyboard artists, amazing editors, and they're all around the world. So now we have to invest in ways to collaborate around the world in a simple way because we have to pull from people around the world. We have to move media around the world in ways that it hasn't been done before. We've learned a lot from a company from a consumer perspective that streams billions and billions of hours around the world every day. So with that in mind, we should be able to move media in a much easier way to make it super easy for people to collaborate no matter where they are. No matter if you're a storyteller from South Africa, Brazil, Iowa, or Paris. So this distributed kind of quality of it and moving media around, we're using the term studio in the cloud. That's what it means really is being able to get people to collaborate in different locations. Yes. So when you hear something like studio in the cloud, something lofty as that, it's really in the end about saving time and facilitating better collaboration. So top end high quality video uses a tremendous amount of data and people are increasingly working in different places around the world. You could shoot in one location, you might edit in another location, you might get feedback from someone in a totally different country or city. 
And so to move that data, we don't want someone to pick up a large hard drive and move all that data and literally get on a plane and deliver it a couple of days later. We want it to almost instantaneously get to whoever's collaborating with another person on whether it's you're shooting something, whether you want to show someone an edit, whether it's two animators animating the same scene and going back and forth with it. So putting that studio in the cloud is being able to move that through technology that can serve it anywhere in the world as quickly as you can move that video so people can all look at it and collaborate almost in real time no matter where you are. Your reference is exactly what I'm working on because I'm working on one of those tools called Content Hub that actually moves data around and facilitates that. So that's my day job. So it's kind of neat to hear you talking specifically about the things I'm working on. Yeah, and, and that's the lifeful Lyle and that's why you're, you're a jack of many trades and a master of many as well. So when it comes to though, when we say studio in the cloud, it's not only moving the media though, it's moving everything that it takes to make that movie or TV show. Like it's moving that script around, those storyboards around, the financial data, the schedules, making everything work so you could just pick up your phone and look at, hey, what's the, when am I supposed to be on the set today? Or I can look at it and go, what's the latest revision of the script that I need to see? And it's all spread out and it's all easy to access. And I don't have to do it in an old school way of, hey, I need to email you the latest version of the script or the latest version of the schedule. So it touches a lot of different spaces about movie making. Um, soup to nuts. Yeah. It touches everything about making a movie or TV show. So we know how to make a great streaming product, like a, a at-home experience of watching television. We're good at that. Do the same skills translate into the studio space? Yeah, that's an interesting question we look at. And there is, you know, you yourself, Lyle, have transferred from the consumer space into the studio space. And there are many great engineers, product managers, designers who they're just really good at coming up with very usable software that brainless, simple to use, but gets a very complex job and makes it simpler. So that is going to be true. And we do move that vast amounts of data around the world constantly so hundreds of millions of people can click play whenever they want across a myriad of devices and get to watch whatever they choose immediately in seconds. So that has a similarity to collaborating across the media space of, hey, I want to look at what was just shot seconds ago, not just what I can watch a movie or TV show. So there's similarity there, but there are differences too. When you think about the actual users, they're using these things for very different reasons and we're dealing with very different numbers of people. Software that's gonna help me find the right movie or TV show and then watch it in a wonderful way is different than software that's gonna help me at my job. Whether I'm in the, on the financial end of the studio, whether I'm on the legal end, whether I'm an assistant director, director of photography, whatever you're doing, whether I'm an editor, whether I'm a VFX artist, all these kinds of people, the kind of software they need, they need is different than what a consumer would need. And there's different kinds of tolerance and demands you'd have for the software you use at your job versus what you use at home. If I'm at work, I'm leaning into my job and I'm probably willing to go through a little more complexity. We still want to keep it simple, but a little more com complexity than a regular consumer would go through. So that's one difference. Another difference from a scale perspective is some of the things that we're building for the studio are going to be used by dozens or hundreds of people, like if we build better production accounting software that we're working on. So that kind of thing is different than everything we're building for consumers is going to be used by hundreds of millions of people. Now, there are things that we're building for the studio that are going to be used by tens of thousands of crews 
and people around the world. So it's different scale. Mm -hmm. and what that means is how I test with different kinds of people is different. I can test something with consumers right now where I could find out how hundreds of thousands of people are using something and I could detect even a small win that it makes it slightly easier for them. When I'm building something for hundreds of people perhaps, then I can't detect, I'm gonna give you one version and you, this group, another version, and then I'm gonna just observe how they do things. I can't do that kind of testing. So now I have to do things more like a lot of surveys, a lot of asking them how does this increase their efficiency and so forth. So it's just a different way of, you can use more tools at a bigger scale on making your apps better than you can at a smaller scale. So is that challenging for us to kind of switch to that type of development? It's a challenge that we're dealing with. Mm -hmm. We've been working on how to make a better Netflix experience for consumers for 20 years now. We've been working on how to make a better experience for people in our productions for a couple of years. Right. So we're learning. Are you happy with the pace that we're learning? I'm an impatient guy, Lyle. I, I know. I always <laughs> want to like, keep on making things better and better and better. So I try to give the team the space that they need to get things done in the best way possible. But there's a lot of work to be done because we're basically trying to take on the production side 20th century technology that's probably not even late 20th century technology. Sometimes it's mid 20th century technology and take it well into the 21st century. The film industry has been slow leaning into technology, and now we're going to see it based on the work we're doing at Netflix and other studios accelerate over the next couple of years. So the movie industry has been making movies successfully for over 100 years. What are we going to bring to the table? What can we bring that is going to help make movies better or, or change the industry? Why do we think we can do anything to help? I am a hardcore cinephile. I love movies. I love movies going all the way back to the silent era, through the 70s, through the early 2000s, all the way up to now. And so I am humbled, even if we can make it incrementally better about how movies and TV shows are made, but the art has been a wonderful evolution that has nothing to do with me, nothing to do with Netflix, that storytelling has gotten better and better. Technology around storytelling has gotten better and better. Look at the realism that they, you know, that's been evolved when it comes to animation. Look at how sophisticated stories themselves are told. Look at how the film language itself has changed, how we can do a lot more shorthand when you look at something that was made 50 years ago. It seems so on the nose and it seems so obvious. And now even the subtlety of how we're telling those stories is better, not to mention the technology around it. So we just want to keep on evolving this craft and make it easier for filmmakers and these video storytellers to focus on their art. And if we could even incrementally move this in a positive direction, then we feel like we've done something great. You know, it's interesting, Todd, I know you pretty well. Uh, we've worked together for half a decade, whatever. And I understand the passion you're coming from as seeing the pain of people diving through paperwork when we have computers that can handle this and allow them to be more efficient. But you do sound a little cocky, like we got the answers, we're gonna get rid of the paperwork. Can you tell me like what motivates you for this? What, what, what's your feeling emotionally when you think about how productions have challenges? So if I sound cocky at all, I'm <laughs> not. I'm humbled by this because this is really hard. And you're seeing this, Lyle, and I'm certainly seeing it, um, and how much work this takes. And so this isn't easy. It isn't easy from two perspectives. It isn't easy because changing habits, there's a couple of things going on when you 
and you're taking technology and trying to apply it in really positive ways to make society better in whatever industry or niche you're dealing with. And one of them is just developing the capabilities and leveraging what you're able to do in terms of a design and engineering perspective. But the other one is equally hard. It's getting people to adopt these new ways that you're coming up with and concocting to make their lives easier. But there's always that startup energy or a little learning curve or a little change effect or a little bit of a confidence that's needed to say, you know what, I'm gonna try this newfangled technology, even though I've been doing this for 15 years of my career and it's been working, they say it can be better, so let me give it a shot. This stuff is really hard. So <laughs> if you detected any cockiness, it's more enthusiasm with little cockiness. I think that one of the tactics you've done that I've noticed is that a lot of the product managers that work for you, uh, work with me and a lot of other people, come from the industry, have a lot of experience making um, film. In fact, you, I think, right out of college were a filmmaker. Does that, is that essential in, in figuring out the products we need? I think we want people from different walks of life. We want to push for diversity. And I don't just mean more superficial diversity. I mean diversity and experience, where people come from, what they're doing, what where they're, the angle they're coming at this problem with. So absolutely, there are people on the team that have worked in the industry for years. They know the old way of doing things. They're very passionate about getting us into a newer, better way of doing things, but they realize that this is gonna take a lot of heavy lifting. Then there are people that are from more traditional software development kind of places where they've solved problems in different domains, and now they wanna attack this challenge in this domain. So we have domain experts, we have technical experts, we have a lot of different experts. And yeah, my background is, I used to be a filmmaker back in the late 90s, I made documentaries. Um, in the early 2000s, I got into feature filmmaking and I was just finishing up directing my first feature film that I also co-wrote when Netflix came knocking on the door. This was in 2005 and I started working at Netflix before the movie was even released and it was released in 2006. So yes, I still, I just moved houses. Yeah. And moving from my old house to my new house, I moved all of these piles of paper and binders and boxes that are falling apart and the cardboard is rotting away from my movie that I made 15 years ago because that is the record of all, since the movie is still out there and not shockingly, if you're in the US or Canada or the UK, you can watch it in a Netflix near you by just hitting play on Brother Shadow. That's a small plug. <laughs> and so from that movie from 15 years ago, I still have piles of paperwork and so forth. And man, I wish this was all just like more neatly put away somewhere in the cloud and I could access it that way. I can't. Todd, can you give us an example of a product that we're working on? Like a, like a real concrete example of something that's actually being developed by Netflix to help make movie making easier, better, empower the creators. Yeah, absolutely. There are a few examples, Lyle, but let me land on Prodigal. So Prodigal is the suite of tools that a production can use when we're shooting to make things easier in various aspects of that production real time and get that to even you know best place, a mobile app that everyone has in their pocket to make it convenient, things around scheduling, script revisions, call sheets. Is it specifically for like on set and like while the production is being created? That's a big part of it, but I'm gonna direct you to a couple of people on my team Chris Goss and Amy Tornacasa, who have been working on this for the last couple of years, and they're going to bring a lot of deep knowledge to the conversation. So go talk to them. And All then right. come back and tell me what they said. Okay, thanks, Todd. 
So I took Todd's advice and reached out to Chris Goss and Amy Ternancasa to learn more about this new set of tools called Prodigal that we've created to simplify the production process. Amy is Director of Product for Production, and Chris is Director of Studio Product. Here's how they describe Prodigal. Um, if you think about you know, production being 200 to 500 freelancers that come together to create a piece of content, and then you also have Studio, and Studio is managing hundreds of these productions at one point, Prodigal aims at solving the communication amongst the crew, so amongst the production crew that are creating this content, as well as the communication from the studio to the production. You know, example of this could be that every day when we're shooting, right, there's going to be a shooting schedule, there's going to be scenes, there's going to be all this information that needs to be shared about where's the location, who's going to be on set. And all of this information today is very much scattered and compartmentalized. And a lot of it's pen and paper. A lot of it's transmitted via fax machine still. And so our aim with Prodigal is infusing digital workflows for these existing practices to gain efficiencies where we can really remove that administrative and operational overhead and provide more time for the creative process. A good way to think about this is to first think of every production we produce as a small business. So as a studio, we're really managing hundreds of these small businesses around the world each year. And each production has its own form of leadership. And the leadership of that business are the producers. And so in order for those producers to produce on behalf of Netflix, um, there is an exchange of communication and collaboration that happens between the studio, which is like the parent company of the full-time employees at Netflix, and then the productions, which are like the small businesses. And so we built uh, Prodigal as a set of tools for those productions to collaborate with our studio. And so essentially, it helps the studio and the productions work together to achieve the great content that we put on our service. Producers use Prodigal tools in a wide variety of ways. There's Prodigal distribution used to digitally distribute sensitive documents like scripts and call sheets to crew members. There's Prodigal Docs Mobile, which lets those crew members view the documents on their phones. And there's Prodigal Sides, which parses scripts and extracts the scenes that need to be shot, which are then sent to talent using Prodigal distribution. Those are just a few examples of how Prodigal is replacing old-fashioned physical and analog tools with digital tech and dispensing with many of the most time-consuming and frustrating parts of production. We definitely want to remove the operational and administrative overhead, but we don't want to disrupt the creative process. So the tools we build are really focused on what is that overhead that no one got in the industry to do, that no one wants to deal with, and that is painful. And how, how can we take that away? How can we make it more efficient? When you really think about the value of this technology, it's really about unlocking the ability to collaborate. It's unlocking the ability to do more and make better creative decisions faster. So you have more time spent on that those kind of creative juices rather than dealing with some of the business logistics that go into actually running a show. So that's Prodigal, which is used mostly during the pre-production and on-set phases. But Studio in the Cloud doesn't end there. It also includes tools that assist with post-production and archiving. To learn more about that part of the process, I spoke with Naz Patani, Director of Product Media for Media Management. Naz, I spoke with Amy and Chris about their work on Prodigal, and what really became clear is that a lot of that work has to do with planning the production, making the show. But there's a whole piece of this afterwards, the post-production. You get footage from the camera, and since you're kind of an expert on the media side, can you tell me, like, what's going on on set, like, right as you finish shooting something, what happens with the footage? 
Sure. Thank you, Lal. It's really a lot of footage that is generated by cameras these days. These cameras shoot at like really, really high resolutions. um, And there are multiple cameras on set capturing the scene from all angles. In addition to these cameras, there is also sound devices that are capturing the sound from on set. All of this needs to be collected together uh, and people need to look at it to make sense of, did we get exactly what we were expecting from this particular scene? And and all of this is being aggregated in one place and backed up to make sure that it isn't being lost uh, and that it can be sent on to other processes down the chain. So we're taking care of that piece. We are essentially making sure that we are able to capture all that footage accurately back it up uh, and be able to send it throughout various steps of the production process and provide our filmmakers with the ability to see what is going on at all times. Can you walk us through a little bit of that process to talk about what things happen with that footage? Sure. So when the footage is collected, it needs to be synchronized because all of the cameras are capturing it from different angles in different time spaces. Once that footage is put together, there are various people on set that need to review the footage and provide feedback. The director of photography is looking at that footage to say, did it actually make sense from a photography standpoint? The editor is looking at it to say, did it make sense from an editorial standpoint? And can I weave it into the story? And they are all providing instant feedback on that footage. And that process is known as dailies review within the production process. Once dailies review happens, while shooting is continuing in parallel, um, that footage is also being sent downstream for jobs like visual effects, editorial, uh, color correction. And there are all of these departments that are starting to work on those pieces of footage to add their little bits of movie-making magic to the footage. So when you finish a day of shooting and that evening people take a look at what happened, from that they can go, oh, we have to reshoot that scene because we had a problem, or everything's good, we can move on to the next set. It's that kind of organization stuff that's going on? Exactly. And feedback is coming in on a daily basis and sometimes even on an hourly basis back to the people on set. So it's the people that are on set, some of the artists that are on set, but it's also other people that are kind of reviewing what's going on and giving feedback and thoughts as well? Yes. So you could have a situation where you have an editor that is based in New York for a shoot that is happening in Los Angeles. And an editor in New York needs to receive that footage on time, be able to see it and provide that feedback to the to the on-set team that could be in LA or in a jungle in the remote Amazon forest. You mentioned like multiple cameras and such. And one of the, one of the things the editor is doing, the expertise an editor has is they're going to have footage of taking a scene multiple times from different cameras and they have to decide how that's going to go together to tell the best story. I'm just kind of describing that piece because I happen to know a little bit about editing. So that person in New York had to get all the footage from that day and actually understand which parts are which. And that's kind of the management of that that data. Can you describe to me what a visual effects person might need to do with this this footage? Yes. So if I'm a visual effects artist, uh, what I really want to be doing is receiving all of the information around that particular scene uh, in one place and, and working on adding all kinds of effects, some small, some large. Uh, an example of a small visual effects is we have a character uh, within the TV show or within the movie that does not like a particular 
part of their hand or their hairline. And on a scene-by-scene basis, a visual effects artist is going in and tweaking that and making that look just the way it should look. In the large side of the visual effects, you have people building huge models of visual elements that cannot be shot in real life, like the the Demogorgon from Stranger Things. And they set it up, they do the textures around it, uh, they add all of the uh, effects around explosions uh, and the movement and the character animation. So all of these are things that visual effects artists are then going in and layering in into the scenes that have been shot on set. So Nas, it sounds like we have a really complicated process after the camera's finished. How much of this are we involved in? Are we working with other people? What are the pieces that we're challenged with right now? Yeah, great question, Lal. There is a lot of technology in filmmaking and a lot of really, really expert companies uh, that build technologies for these functions. Our goal really is how do you connect all of these pieces of technology together? And how do you bring the best tools to the filmmakers in a frictionless way so that the filmmakers don't have to worry about moving files from technology A to technology B or understanding if a file is compatible or not compatible? So really what we doing is we're taking the best pieces of the ecosystem that exists from a technology standpoint and finding ways to stitch them together. And then are we building any bespoke stuff? I'm, I'm asking this as a, in this kind of funny way because, of course, my day job is actually working on these tools, so I know a bit about them. But can you give me an example of one of, of a bespoke kind of thing that Netflix is building and why we decided to challenge and build that? Sure. Um, I think some of the bespoke things that we are building are around technologies on how we can get footage into our ecosystem. Um, If you don't have the ability to get footage into the ecosystem, it is really difficult to orchestrate all of these additional elements. The other place where we look at building some bespoke tools are in areas of very, very heavy specialization where the industry might not have the right tool sets. So some of those might be around areas like animation and VFX. Recently, I read a great tech article about NetFX. Can you describe what NetFX is? So NetFX is our internal VFX platform that really helps our partners uh, in the VFX industry to scale and provide capabilities for our productions. One of the things that's happening within the industry is that there is an increased need for capacity and VFX artist resources. And VFX artist experience is really hard to come by. Uh, And it takes a lot of time to build up that experience uh, as a VFX artist. So when we are producing the amount of content that we produce, the key question is, how do you help add VFX production capacity to the ecosystem? And in order to solve for that, our technology team built a platform based on our cloud infrastructure that can be directly leveraged by vendors and talent. Uh, It enables them to collaborate together and really find the right way to to make VFX uh, or to add VFX into shots efficiently and effectively. So if you have a VFX artist that's like really great at doing explosions and that kind of work, setting their environment up, making sure they have all the tools they need, making sure they have a computer that can run all the software they need, and the communication between that artist and the director or whoever is managing that artist, that kind of piece? 
Yes, that kind of piece. And, and I would even take it a step further. So assume that your VFX artist is located in just on the outskirts of New York and doesn't have a computer that really is strong enough uh, to do the kinds of heavy work that a VFX system requires. We are providing those artists with virtual workstations that they can log into wherever they are in the cloud. We are providing them with storage. We are providing them with their tools. We are providing them with the ability to render their shots. And rendering really means uh, generating the output of all of the heavy work that they've done. So we are making it really easy for them to work. It's like showing up and clicking a button and everything is set up for you mm-hmm. so that you can do your best creative work. And, and this is a pretty traditional in large companies that are doing a lot of visual effects to have these kinds of tools. We're just making one on top of our infrastructure and platform, right? Yes, we are making a platform on top of our infrastructure, and then we are partnering with different vendors that we use uh, and offering them this platform as a means of helping them scale their capacity and provide us with a better quality of service. Nas, who are these VFX artists that are going to be using these tools? Where are they? These These VFX artists are essentially all around the world. There are hubs of VFX talent that have developed over the years. There's a lot of VFX talent, for example, that's based in uh, Montreal or Vancouver. There are a bunch of VFX facilities that have big operations in India. So our real goal is to enable them to work wherever they are and then publish that media back into the ecosystem and bring it to where we are able to do the editorial and finishing and get the media wrapped up. Uh, for Netflix. What other concerns or things we're working on in that whole flow of media in the post-production area? Yeah, so after the VFX process, we go through uh, making sure that the editorial teams have the right files to work on. We go through a color correction phase just to make sure that everything looks exactly the way the, the filmmaker visualizes it in their head. And we come up with the final output through the finishing process, which gives us the final finished elements of picture and sound that make it onto the screen. Once that is done, we really have a few more things that we have to do as a studio. And one of them is to make sure that we collect up all of the elements that were generated during the filmmaking process as an archive, um, specifically in case there are other uses, such as marketing. You mean like a trailer, right? So we finish the show and somebody has to make a trailer for it. Somebody wants to make a trailer for it, or somebody wants to make something for social media, or they want uh, something that a crew member might need or a cast member might need for their own use. So we archive all of it for those uses. And then, of course, there might be also an interest in keeping this footage for a long period of time. And I know there's stories of lost films throughout history. So we want to make sure not to do that, right? Absolutely. This footage represents Netflix's investment in a key piece of content for our content pipeline. So we like to store it all in for posterity. That's fantastic. And that's a solution we also have. So no matter how the productions are made, once an original show of Netflix is, it comes into our system and we keep it forever kind of thing. Yep. We receive all the files, we archive it, and then we pass it on to a lot of different teams that go work on localization, subtitling, dubbing, and marketing. How do we save this stuff forever? Like, how is it done? In the past, uh, studios used to put all of these archives on physical tapes or film and send them over to a vault somewhere to store in it for long durations of time. Um, This media that was used was a tape format called LTO. And really what would happen is over time, the tapes would degrade. 
And every few years, like every seven to 10 years, studios would have to go back, pull the old tapes, make copies of them, make sure that they're fine and put them back into storage. Wow, that's expensive. (laughs) Yeah, it is a very manual and very expensive process. So what we do is we essentially try to archive and store as much as we can in the cloud, which automatically takes care of all of the physical infrastructure needs from our side and is able to make sure that the footage is saved reliably and efficiently for generations to come. Well, Naz, thank you so much for kind of walking through how the media actually flows through. And we didn't even touch on all the things we're working on there or the partners we have in this space, but it's really neat to hear that kind of story. So I really appreciate you doing that with me. Thank you very much, Lyle. I appreciate you having me. So that's a brief introduction to Studio in the Cloud. An important thing for me, because that's where I've been working for the last year. It's a really broad subject, and I'm still learning. In fact, in this episode, I learned a lot, and I hope you did as well. We Are Netflix is hosted by Lyle Troxel. He's a senior software engineer at Netflix. You can keep up with We Are Netflix on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and YouTube. To learn more about careers at Netflix, go to jobs.netflix.com.